Okay, a little real talk, ladies and gents. It's time to break up with your razor and start a new lifelong relationship with real hair-free results. It's Dr. Jamie here, and I want to tell you about Milan Laser Hair Removal. This year, fall in love with your skin and say goodbye to the hassles of removing unwanted hair. Laser hair removal is the absolute best way to ditch the stubble with permanent results. That means you can enjoy date nights out or stay in without worrying about daily shaving or booking those time-consuming costly wax appointments. At Milan Laser Hair Removal, the average client is over 95% hair-free within 7 to 10 sessions. Plus, their exclusive unlimited package is included with every purchase at no extra cost. So your hair-free results are guaranteed for life and there are no touch-up fees ever. The best part? It's safe and effective. This podcast is all about using my medical expertise to help all of you. So I love that Milan Laser was founded by board-certified physicians and all of their providers. They're medical professionals. They are the largest laser hair removal company in the United States with over 160 locations nationwide. And because laser hair removal is their sole focus, you're always in the hands of experts who have the medical oversight to give you the best results possible. Are you ready to fall in love with your smoothest skin yet? Give Milan Laser a call at 833-NO-RAZOR or visit milanlaser.com today. You can use my code FITANDFAB60, that's F-I-T-A-N-D-F-A-B-6-0, to get 60% off any body area, excluding full body purchases. That's FITANDFAB60, all one word. Thank you to Milan Laser. to the Fit and Fabulous podcast with Dr. Jamie Seaman. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Jamie. Welcome back to the Fit and Fabulous podcast. We have an amazing guest on today's episode. I'm super excited for all you YouTubers you're watching. We have an on-site recording today, which is also so great to go into people's environments and kind of see how they live and work and and uh, and do their thing. So I want to introduce you to today's guest, Jake Allward. Jake, thanks for coming on the Fit and Fabulous podcast. Appreciate you having me. Well, where we are right now is Bellevue University. And for those of you that don't know your geography here in Nebraska, it's just south of Omaha, Nebraska. It's an NAIA school. And Jake Allward is the head strength and conditioning coach here at Bellevue University. And what I actually found out right before we started recording is that how, how many staff do you have, Jake, here at Bellevue? Um, I am the only strength and conditioning coach on staff for Roughly 270 athletes. So that's incredible. Yeah. So Jake is a Jake is a one man show. Well, Jake, tell us your story, uh, just your background, and and how you got here to where we are today. Yeah. So basically, I was an accountant really before I even got into this. Um, I was working an office job. Um, just really didn't like my day to day kind of lifestyle, and I was always big into working out. I played baseball at Bellevue. Um, and one day I was just, I really just told myself, I was like, hey, I want to do exactly what I want to do with my life. Um, I obviously didn't figure it out right away in college, mm -hmm. but those couple years, um, got it right after, you know, working kind of that office job lifestyle. I was like, hey, it's, it's time to jump into what I want to do. So I left my office job, got certified as a personal trainer, um, basically went into personal training, um, got lucky enough to actually help with our baseball team um, who I played with um, and thing, things started to be a little bit more successful with the team. Um, we got to two World Series after like a 10-year drought um, and after after four years of that our uh, university decided hey we need to we need to hire a strength coach um, and I got lucky enough to be picked and take over all of our sports um, and you know we have we have 12 teams so it's quite a bit of a workload, but yeah, you know, that's a lot of athletes to be training, especially yeah. when you're by yourself. So 273 athletes, tell us what your day-to-day -day life is like training that many athletes. I mean, what time do you wake up? What's your schedule like? Yeah. So it starts pretty early. Um, 4 o'clock is usually when that alarm goes off, depending on the day. Did you guys hear that? Yeah. Winners, winners wake up at 4 30. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Hey, I'm trying to be like the rock, but <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a grind. Um, so every day you got to be prepared. Um, we have an app called team builder that all of our athletes use. 
Uh, basically gives them access to their workouts. So I write up those workouts right away in the morning after I get my breakfast. I usually try to get a little one mile run in to start the day to get really the juices flowing, get my mental right. Mm -hmm. um, the morning eat. routine. Morning Super routine. Important. It's 100%. That morning routine can set the tone for your day. Um, getting all of those boxes checked makes for a smoother day because um, we start softball usually Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Those are at 6.45 a.m. Um, women's golfs, 6.30 a.m. Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, and it's just a running schedule year-round where I'm up that early, we're getting after it. And it's you got to bring the energy in the morning, too. So bring yeah. in, you know, getting, getting that blood flowing in the morning is really big for me. Um, but, yeah, it's a full day, though. So we have our teams in the morning. A little bit of an hour break or two from, you know, 9 a.m. to 11, and then it's right back on the clock, 12 to roughly 5.30. Um, we got multiple sports going through depending on the day. Wow. Yeah. It's extreme. It definitely takes the caliber of athlete to play collegiate athletics. How many of your athletes that come in have come from formal strength and conditioning programs in their high schools? Because I know, I mean, in Nebraska, some of the smaller schools, it, it isn't something that every athlete necessarily has access to. Yeah, and that's, that's huge. Um, a lot of our athletes are JUCO-oriented. So we'll get um, bounce backs from D1, Division One, Division Two which we're lucky enough they've gone through some, some sort of uh, strength conditioning program. But some of those high school um, or smaller JUCO um, athletes, they'll come in, a lot of our basketball athletes too, like no really foundation of how a strength conditioning program operates, um, learning a lot of, you know, our culture, movements. Uh, it's really big and it's a learning gap for them. Mm -hmm. And then those ones that come in that are well-versed, it's just jumping right back into it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It's, a, it's a big learning curve for, I'd say, like half of our athletes. Yeah. Well, I want to back up a little bit about your story and kind of talking about you leaving your corporate job to come be a strength and conditioning coach. Um, I found a tweet that Jake had put out. Uh, uh, let's see when this was. Back in October. So seven years ago, I left my safe corporate job at lunch and never returned. My boss told me I'll never be successful and said good luck with, quote, personal training, very sarcastically. Um, the key is not to listen to people that don't have your vision. And that's something that totally resonated with me. Um, tell us more about that mindset. Did you always think that way? Did you feel stuck? How did you, how did you get to really pursuing yeah. what your passion was? This was a big moment in my life, honestly. So, um, you know, when you're not doing exactly what your instincts are telling you, mm -hmm. so that instinct, which I'm huge on getting in touch with that inner voice. That inner voice is, it's number one. Um, and if that inner voice is talking to you daily, it's like, why are we doing this? What is, what am I getting out of this? Um, I just started, you know, talking back with that inner voice. Like, is this really what I want to be doing? And, you know, I didn't leave my job with the best. I mean, you should take your two weeks notice. Um, <laughs> do that. And uh, my mom always don't leave at lunchtime. Yeah. Don't leave at lunch <laughs> and not come back. <laughs> But hey, in my mind at the time, that felt like exactly what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. And taking that leap of faith, um, you know, it's paid off. Um, amazing things have happened. But that mindset is still day, to this day the same. Listen to my inner voice. Basically, you know, do what it tells you. Whatever feels right is usually right. That first, you know, thing that comes to, head, come to, your, comes to your mind is usually right. Mm -hmm. And once you get in tune with that, which is tough, um, a lot of people always ask me, I even tell our athletes, hey, how do I get in touch with my inner voice? Like, how do you find that inner voice? Um, it's just a process, process of, you know, feeling um, that voice talking, what actually feels good. Right. So it's tough. I think it's easy to kind of get stuck in just the day-to-day -day mundane. I'm getting a paycheck. I've got benefits. But I think what people really have to ask themselves is, in what situations in life, what experiences, what events were you at that really energize you, you know? And that's exactly. like, that's what we're all really pursuing at the end of the day. And I think that's so cool that you were brave enough to do that because I don't think that that's something that a lot of people, you know, would really have the guts to do. I think a lot of people just stay in that, in that little comfort bubble. Oh yeah. And you'll get a lot of people giving you, um, you know, Hey, why are you doing this? Why, why are you leaving this safe situation? 
it's it's finding that thing that energizes you mm -hmm. and that's what i really did find and you know helping coaching just giving back to people in any way i can and just helping them reach their goals is what energizes and feeds me and it wasn't sitting at a computer and doing excel you know, that really you know got me going it was more you know i was just a different type of person and it just took me a little longer to find that out when you were younger and, uh, you know, young age, high school age, obviously you went on to play collegiate baseball. Was this always your mentality or is this something that you've kind of learned through the process? So really growing up, my dad, he was really big into, you know, hey, let's go train, get, um, you know, be as well prepped for the sports I'm in, go do speed training. Um, Nestle didn't really get into like lifting till you know high school, but it was like speed training, baseball lessons, pitching lessons. I think that f basically fed my kind of the coach in me because mm -hmm. always I was always around a good mentor coach growing up, and I think I lost touch with that you know over a period of time. And getting it back is really when I I kind of felt you know hey this is what I want to do is right what I want to do so yeah it was. Uh, it was kind of started at an early age for me, and I think I just kind of lost touch with it. Yeah. Talk to me about your experience playing collegiate baseball. Uh, it's uh, actually I have a crazy story, too, for our baseball. Um, so I played uh, high school at Midwest, um, played there two years varsity, um, and then went to uh, Kearney, which doesn't have a baseball team anymore, Division II uh, Nebraska mm -hmm. Kearney. Um, went there for a year. Didn't really like the small town feel of kind of how it was set up. So, you know, I got homesick and I came back to Omaha yeah. and I had a buddy who played for Bellevue University here and uh, got a little tryout and got set up with them. But three years, I was kind of a relief uh, pitcher and closer for our baseball team. And my junior year, we were ranked like fifth in the country. And my best friend who I brought to the team um, didn't get his release from his division one mm. and the paperwork was missing. So we had to forfeit our whole season. Wow. Yeah, and it was 2010. It was, it was big time because we had seven of those guys play professional off that team. And you think NAI, you know, is right. They're not the going to go on. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. We had uh, our center fielder got to the Red Sox, AAA, uh, kind of had a good little run of athletes at that time and yeah it was crazy so we lost our season that year um came back finished my senior year and that was really it for my baseball career but never forget that time i think that's one of the interesting things about athletics is that um my dad was a, a former collegiate athlete played very short stint professionally and then i was also a collegiate athlete and i remember listening to an interview when i was younger and my dad said uh athletics are a microcosm for life and of course, I had to go Google what microcosm <laughs> was. But basically, there's so many parallels between being on a team, playing a sport, the way you train, the way your schedule, learning about failing, learning about losing, learning about major, you know, yeah. F ups. <laughs> yeah. And being able to bounce back from those things and just knowing that not, you know, one moment like that really defines you. So. That's really awesome. So how did you, so accounting though, so you went on, you went on to get an, an accounting degree or? Well, I had a business degree. That was okay. my kind of focus. Okay. Um, and my dad, uh, he worked at a company and it was in the accounting department. I guess it was called purchasing analysts. Um, so kind of go out and buy, you know, equipment and then we would resell it. Um, but my sister, she got a business degree and I, I, when I was in college, I was like, ah, you know, if she's doing it, I'll get it. I guess yeah. I'll get a business degree. So it's, it wasn't really much thought behind it. So I guess I kind of set myself up, you know, for probably not feeling the greatest in that job yeah. setting. Um, so at what point did you just feel completely unsatisfied? Um, it was, I'd say it was really right off the bat, yeah. but I tried to tough it out for mm -hmm. like two and a half years, which I feel like a lot of people do if they're in something that's just, you know, you, you're like, you have, you know, the salary of your 401k, mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got a nice home. It's just, you know, I, I said, no, yeah. you know, it's, it's time for me to do exactly what I want. So tell us what the road is like to get a job like yours for somebody out there listening who maybe is a young listener that, that wants to be a strength coach. Yeah. So it's, um, Basically, if you want to become a strength conditioning coach, 
You have to get your certified strength conditioning special, specialist certificate, which is done through uh, the NSCA. Uh, it's National Strength Conditioning Association. Um, that's first and foremost, it's pretty much a requirement at the college level, unless you run like a private practice. Okay. Um, and also getting in there, being an intern, getting hours, um, coaching athletes, because uh, you can get all the certifications, you know, you want and, you know, make yourself look really good on paper. But if you don't have those coaching hours in and really in, you know, the battlegrounds of helping athletes, understanding, you know, where you need to individualize, where you need to change mm -hmm. things up, um, super important. So the internship process or getting um, hands-on uh, time is huge. Yeah, it's like one thing to learn yeah. the knowledge and another thing to be able to apply it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Okay, so let's talk about how your athletes train. I mean, how does one structure a strength and conditioning program at the collegiate level? Yeah, so um, each sport, um, we, we have a little bit of a variation for each sport. Um, so I try to take them through phases. So our first, um, say our first week we have our athletes, we'll go through some sort of an assessment process where we'll figure out some injury history. We'll figure out where they're at, like past three months, what have you been doing? Um, kind of some broad questions. And then it is movement prep. So our first you know, week or two, we're really getting ingraining good movement. So technique is huge. I, we do do some sort of a max testing um, just because the athletes like it, but those numbers don't mean anything unless you move very well. Mm -hmm. So technique is huge. So those first two weeks, technique oriented, which is a staple all the way throughout and always. Um, but we just preach the importance of movement technique. Um, and then we'll go through some sort of, you know, a eccentric phase, which is for maybe the non-science, exercise science people, it's just that lowering phase. So um, say you're going down in a squat, that lowering phase of taking that bar down and going into squat is our eccentric phase. So we'll just slow that down. Yeah, so lengthening the yeah. muscle versus a concentric, which is basically contracting. So right. it's the up or the down phase. Yeah, so we, we put that under you know a six second lowering phase. Um, and that really helps strengthen the long run and also uh, ingrains good technique, good movement. Eccentrics are really hard. Yeah. Uh, during the pandemic, somebody was, um, have you ever heard of Discover Strength? Oh, um, I haven't. Okay, so it's this program. It's literally all isometric and like eccentrics. And she said, it's, I'm going to give you a free workout. You're just going to go on this Zoom. I know Kristen's going to listen to this. And there's a trainer. I mean, it's a live person on the other side. And it's basically like, okay, get into a split, you know, lunge position. And it is like pulses over and over and over until you want to die. That sounds brilliant. <laughs> uh, so there's, I mean, that's, do you find that kids come in here with really bad techniques sometimes? Yeah, we'll get, I mean, we'll get, I've had numerous athletes that have never worked out before in their life, which you'd think you're a college athlete. You know, you've never lifted weights. You've never, you know, done. Just a natural athlete. Just a natural athlete, and they've gotten away with it. But once you get to that college setting or even mm -hmm. if you want to move on, getting into a strength conditioning program is huge for just maintaining the longevity. But we'll have those, you know, those athletes that come in and don't even know what a lunge looks like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they don't know what a Turkish get up in like just a lot of those fancy, you know, exercises. It's, it's totally new to them, but yeah. At what age do you think athletes should start looking at participating in a strength and conditioning program? I would say, you know, around eight or nine, like there's good data out there. You know, you, you can really get them into moving, you know, right away, mm -hmm. you know, when they're really young, um, you know, kids are carrying around 40 pound book bags, you know, when they're seventh, eighth grade, even fifth grade, you know, they're, they're being loaded up and right. whether they know it or not. So teaching kids how to properly move under load, I, I really think you can start that at an early age. Yeah. I, so I have three daughters, they're six, eight and 10. And it's interesting to me to watch all three of them, like one of them has definitely more just natural, like she just moves very naturally, mm -hmm. kind of has this athletic, you know, style to her. Whereas another kid is, she just looks awkward. I'm like, how do you not know how to run? Like, just run. <laughs> um, yeah. But we started to put our girls into programs. It's not a lot of weights, but just learning how to like jump and how to cut and how to, I'm obviously a huge advocate of strength and conditioning, um, but I know that that's, that's not something that everybody's family is into. 
But I think it's something you can do as a family. You can, you know, find local gyms that have programs for younger athletes. Um, but one of the things, of course, people are probably fearful of is injuries, right? We see these huge dumbbells over here. It's really like intimidating. So talk to me about how people can reduce their risk of injury by actually doing strength and conditioning. Yeah. So it comes to like, comes down to a lot of things. Um, your technique is huge. Getting with someone that knows how to teach good technique, um, understanding um, deceleration, so that eccentric, like being in control of the movements. Um, especially if you're a running athlete, like an athlete that plays soccer or basketball, learning how to decelerate. Hmm. Um, that's really big. And a lot of knee valgus, which is when that knee kind of drives in, you know, when kids land, their knees will buckle in. Getting them strong to where we can strengthen those um, abductors to help those knees stay on a good... And um, female athletes in particular. Yeah, those huge numbers are huge. It's ACL so, injuries. Yeah. yeah. So especially in our women's soccer, um, trying to narrow down that risk. Um, and knee valgus, watching for that and here is huge. So really making sure we're really strong on one leg. Mm -hmm. um, we'll, we do do our squats and deadlift, but one leg, single leg strength um, is really a big staple of what we do. Um, and having that single leg strength uh, just really helps in so many movements out on the field. And, and if you think about it, you're going to be on one leg a lot of the time, almost 90% right. of the time. So it's running, um, jumping off one foot, it's going to cut off one foot. Being strong without one leg is also going to help kind of limit um, injury risk because you can't prevent injuries. Uh, you can try your best, but they are going to happen. It's just to minimize that risk. Right, right. Yeah, female athletes in particular are at an increased risk for sports injuries, yeah. not only because physically the shape of the pelvis is different, different forces on things like the knees for female athletes, you know, that are doing a lot of cutting, like a soccer player is probably one of the highest risks for ACL injuries, um, shoulder injuries, but also because estrogen, one of the hormones that is more predominant in women compared to men, can can change the, the ligament laxity and things yeah. like that, too. So female athletes definitely should participate in strength and conditioning for those exact reasons to try to help prevent, uh, prevent those injuries. Um, okay, so... You were talking about single leg. One of my favorite exercises is the Bulgarian split squat, which Jake told me is also his favorite too. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's your favorite lift here in the gym? My favorite lift actually would be um, just a full clean. Okay. Uh, so the Olympic movements I like a lot. Um, that and then I would say reverse lunge is my second. All so right. So that's a single leg. Rear foot or Bulgarian is probably like 10th. So okay. she's rare right. for well, even thinking that way. So yeah. I like a little or pain. Props, yeah. One yeah. thing I'm really bad at, though, is pull-ups. And that's something that over the past two years, I have. I, I think people should go after their weaknesses because we all have like our favorite right? The guys that want to do bicep curls and want the big biceps. But you can't, you can't abuse certain areas of your body. And pull-ups are just something that is not natural for me. I think women in particular probably struggle more than that with men. How can I strengthen my pull-ups? Yeah, so this is a good question. Back to that eccentric, so that lengthening of that muscle. Um, a really good, there's a couple exercises I would say. So if you want to increase your pull-ups or even get one pull-up um, or be on the road, road to accomplishing that, um, doing an eccentric um, you're just lowering yourself down six to eight seconds. Um, I would say like a four set of five. Don't even worry about the pull-up part because you're not going to be able to get up there or if it's even minimal reps. Get up to that top of the bar, use a box, get that bar basically to chest height, work on controlling and decelerating and making sure your pelvis is locked together too. So you want to have that good pelvis rib cage connection so you can keep your core in a good spot. But and then also doing isometric holds at the top. Um, you can always go pronated or supinated grip. Um, so I would say holds at the top and, um, you know, that eccentric lowering phase. And then um, really you can do different levels of holds. So a little bit lower, lower, mm -hmm. just try to maintain as much time under tension as you can. And you'll see a, a big increase um, in that strength. And also, too, a little bit of... Um, kind of on the side of pull-ups is, you know, working on plyometrics, working on moving your body and being efficient with your body weight. So if you can be efficient with your body weight, it's going to be easier to mm -hmm. move. Um, that way you're not only focused on pull-ups, you can wor work on, you know, your total body strength. Yeah. So it's huge. Yeah. 
which is a tough lift. I'm strong, but I am not light as a feather. So it's a lot of weight to pull up over the bar. But before Titan Games, I got to six pull-ups. So, but my goal is 10. Like, I mean, I started with just being able to do one, but I'm kind of like, I'm hitting that plateau where it's, it's, it's hard. It's a hard movement. Um, talk to me about nutrition. Is that something that you work with your athletes on? Uh, yeah. So actually with our athletes, we give them a um, kind of a full like diet recommendation. Um, Cause in the state of Nebraska, you're not supposed to give like a detailed like plan per se, unless you're a registered dietitian. Doctors aren't either. Yeah, so that's crazy. This is like yeah. completely crazy. Yeah. I have a background in nutrition, um, but it's obviously <laughs> doctors don't get a lot of nutrition training, so I understand why. But if you look at any disease process, the number one intervention is nutrition. Yeah. It's so odd to me. Yeah, it is. it's it's crazy. So you have to kind of be careful on how yeah. you give out some of that information. So we'll basically give them like here's a recommended calorie range for your sport, your activity level, and here's the percentages of macros to fit within that. And it's, hey, try this out. Here's an app to track. So we use uh, like MyPlate calorie counter. Um, so we try to give them all the tools they um, can use and there's no guesswork. So, yeah. And that's huge, especially a lot of our athletes will be in here working their butt off and um, they don't realize there's, they're lacking in the kitchen. And, you know, hey, I'm not gaming. I was just about to say, yeah. how many, what percentage of the athletes <laughs> <laughs> do you think are following it? I, I mean, I, I was a college kid once. Honestly, I'd say 10%. Like, yeah. I'm just being real. Like, it's hard for our athletes to go home and just forget about, you know, their friends and, you know, right. their social media and be like, hey, I need to track my calories. And right. it's like a 15-minute process. But, hey, it's tough. Like, it's just hard to do day to day. The um, kids that really dial in their nutrition, though, can you tell a difference in the gym, on the field? 100%. Um, actually, one of my best examples is Tommy Hansen. Um, he'll probably be listening to this. Uh, he followed our diet plan to a T, our strength program to a T, and he's gotten great results. Um, he actually went down to uh, Texas Christian University and interned for their baseball uh, strength staff. So he just was a nerd about it and yeah. had great results. But I always see those athletes that are taking that like extra step. Um, you can see a difference, the way they feel, the way they bounce around in here. The ones athletes that come in, you know, they're a little, you can just tell stress has gotten to them a little bit. Right. Um, less resiliency. Less resili yeah. Don't recover as well. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that I undervalued as a young athlete. And then I went to college. Our university was larger than Bellevue. And so we had a registered dietitian. But literally what they told us was eat the rainbow. And I mean, that was the advice we got was like fruits and vegetables. And as a kid, most kids aren't great at eating those types of things anyway. But I didn't realize the importance of protein even at that time. I mean, they would always serve us a, a serving of protein at the training table every night and whatnot. And then there was one summer where, um, shout out to James, our dietitian, told us that the softball team was the fattest team on campus <laughs> and that we had to try to cut body fat. And so that they gave us this piece of paper and it was um, literally on it, like you could count out 25 goldfish crackers. So it was seriously just like, hit these calories because they knew we would lose weight at a certain calorie threshold. Right. Um, and so there's so many unhealthy ways to do it. And I just wish that if I had any advice for somebody listening, it's prioritize protein for athletes, um, eat, eat for nutrients. I mean, literally when you talk about like a one hour workout coming in here in this gym, the, the mineral loss, the electrolyte loss, like alone, um, there are so many things that need replenished when you're training at this type of level. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And I think, uh, we've had a couple athletes try, we around 600 to 800 calories we burn in this hour, um, coming in here. So you're losing and burning quite a bit of energy and the intensity with the atmosphere with all of our athletes in here, you're stepping it up a notch without even realizing it. And mm -hmm. you're not taking that extra step, like understanding, you know, Hey, that protein is super important. Um, cause I'll get athletes, Hey, send me a pic. They'll send me a picture of, you know, their diet for the day, mm -hmm. um, that they've counted. I say, Hey, your calorie or your protein, uh, is so low. Like we mm -hmm. need to boost that up. So it's just understanding the importance of protein. It's huge. Yeah. The protein turnover in these athletes is like, oh, yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned, you know, you love Olympic weightlifting. There's so many different ways to train like people out there. There's like boxing gyms and Pilates and CrossFit and so many, you know, different ways to train. What, 
do people just find what they like as an athlete? Is there a specific way that's going to be more advantageous? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I'll go to our baseball, softball athletes. So we will do some Olympic. The greatest sports yeah, ever, by the right. way, baseball and softball. Soccer and basketball. <laughs> you kill me in volleyball. But, um, we love you too. <laughs> those are awesome. Um, but yeah, it, uh, I give them options. So um, we'll do like a, our, our day set up kind of uh, like a Husker Power um, which is kind of a methodology I got from Boyd Epley. It's strength, power, strength, power. Like that's our four-day plan on our power days. That's when we kind of incorporate some of those Olympic movements. Um, but as you know, softball, baseball, we have to protect the shoulder. We have mm -hmm. to protect the, the forearm. So if their technique from day one is very shoddy, to say the least, um, we'll throw them on a loaded jump. So we can still get uh, some of the benefits of an Olympic lift with say a trap bar jump, uh, quarter squat jump, any loaded jump where we're still producing, um, you know, power off the ground and getting good hip extension. So the athletes I do let Olympic lift and clean, if they can do it, well, obviously if they look like they're close, I'll teach them and we'll get to a really good spot. But um, definitely Olympic lifts, if our athletes can do them and nail it and keep that good technique and understanding, hey, we gotta get to these certain positions, we do it. Um, but if, like I said, if they're struggling in that area, we always have something that builds off of it. Yeah. Um, that's not, yeah. So one thing that's really taken off in the last, you know, 10 years is CrossFit. And obviously if you want to go to the CrossFit games, be a CrossFit athlete, there were some really young kids that participated in CrossFit games this last year. I can't remember, uh, the youngest gal, what her age was, 16 years old or something like that. There's, there's even younger ones, but is something like CrossFit um, applicable to strength and conditioning for sports, or is it something that's really just unique to CrossFit athletes? So I am pretty passionate about CrossFit not being on the sports training side. Um, but uh, that saying, if you're not training at all, um, something's, some, better, something's than better than nothing. <laughs> yeah. So um, there is a place for it if if um, you know you don't have access to a good strength coach um, but it's really important those movements like burpees um, just a lot of time you know time oriented go as fast as you can uh, those can just really take a wear and tear on the body if you're not mm -hmm. doing it programming wise properly um, so as far as crossfit i would say no honestly and that's that's my 100 percent you know opinion and i think that there's so much out there on good movement you know, in the strength conditioning side that has yielded great results. Like you go to Alabama football, are they doing CrossFit? No, they're not. They're actually doing a good, solid strength conditioning program with good movements like lunging, squat, deadlift, um, like push, pull, carry. Uh, those Do all of those well, and you're going to make a pretty good, well-rounded mm -hmm. athlete. Um, so CrossFit, in my mind, you know, it's... It's controversial. A lot of people, you know, think it's really bad. Um, and a lot of people out there use it probably for some of their sports, like in high school level. Um, but in my experience, I just don't think it's the best uh, option for athletes. Yeah. I mean, I think where CrossFit shines is that for somebody that, you know, wants a more intense workout and that just the camaraderie with some of these CrossFit gyms, I think that's where CrossFit has really grown so fast because of that. Um, and I think that kind of resonates with how we felt as athletes, right? You love just being with your teammates and, you know, sweating together and grinding together and just having that kind of experience together. So, but, uh, I agree the, when you look at the literature, the scientific literature on, you know, cause we, we base this, I mean, strength and conditioning isn't just some willy nilly, like pick some, pick science. some exercises. Yeah. It's like, it's all based on exercise science and physiology. And when we look at the data on CrossFit, the injury rate is super high. For women, the pelvic floor dysfunction rate is super high um, because of the 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 intensity that right. they that they train at. So it's something to really consider. Yeah, and especially thinking when you're going to do a bunch of burpees and say you're not the most body efficient, uh, maybe you're a little overweight. Some of those positions break down pretty fast. So going back to you know, hey, let's have good technique, good movement. Um, jumping into a CrossFit program as your first you know, hey, I'm going to get back into working out. It's probably not the best, but that the atmosphere that they get is great. You know, being with a whole group, um, it's I can see why it's popular, 100%. And it, I obviously watch the CrossFit games. I'm actually CrossFit certified. Um, 
So like it definitely has a place I enjoy some of the workouts, but yeah, you take that to a, you know, a collegiate weight room, high school weight room. There's so many better things that you can do for your athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. Um, you mentioned that you run a mile every morning. Talk to me about cardio. Like do these type of athletes need cardio or are they just focusing on resistance training? Yeah. So personally, I love my mile runs every morning, but would I give a mile run to our athletes? No, not necessarily. Um, so our strength power athletes, cardio is last on our list. Mm -hmm. So softball, baseball, it is sprints, um, you know, those explosive movements. We want to live in that, you know, phosphate, um, glycolytic energy uh, system, which they live in. So you think softball, baseball, a lot of stuff happens 10 seconds or less. Mm -hmm. So you throw them into a cardio program where you're doing a lot of running, you're going to take away um, from some of those power outputs. Mm -hmm. um, now, when we talk about soccer, basketball, we have really good communication with our coaches. So our basketball soccer coaches, I know what they're doing at practice. They're doing a lot of running, extensive mm -hmm. up and down, um, a lot of sprint work. So I focus on, I give them what they're not getting. So they're, they're still doing those strength, um, power movements in here. And we're working on, uh, you know, groin health for soccer. Um, but if I know a team's not getting that cardio aspect and they need it, we'll throw that in. So maybe we're in an off season to where they're not with their coach as much. We'll throw in some interval type training or a little bit more of a long distance feel. So like even our cross country, they'll come in here after running, you know, five miles for a normal workout for their day. Are we going to go and run five more miles to, for the training? Right. right. Yeah. So we're going to focus on that, you know, the strength aspect. Yeah, so understanding how to train and how to recover, which I think is something I never thought of either as a young athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Do you talk to athletes about recovery? Uh, like, what other modalities do they do they use? Yeah, so really, as far as, like, stretching, recovery, you know, the food, we, we definitely go back to that nutrition. Hey, and sleep is huge. Mm -hmm. A lot of our athletes do not get enough sleep. They'll even say, like, oh, I got six hours, seven hours. I'm like, still like on the low end yeah um, that's six to even 10 hours i know it's crazy in like a college athlete but if you can get you know that range of sleep that's going to help you recover it's the best supplement out there sleep like if they could prescribe that put it in a bottle and yeah. you know hey here's this is 10 hours of sleep you know that would be the best supplement out there and really when our athletes come in sore maybe they we had a tough day um We'll do more of a mobility um, emphasis. So just getting moving, um, getting the blood flow, that's huge. And just working through ranges of motion, different planes of movement, that really helps uh, kind of boost that recovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like active recovery. I always right. call it like the better than nothing workout, Like, yeah. which, I, which I hate stretching. How important is stretching and flexibility? I love this question because I stretch very little and I, I can put my hands on the ground. I mean, I, my flexibility is great. So I wouldn't say never, but as much as you'd think, you know, someone in the fitness, like, hey, they probably stretch every day. It's weekly. It's really, if I feel tight or I feel, you know, I'm losing a little mobility, I'll do mobility. And, um, you know, just taking your exercises through full range of motion is really a very good active lengthening of that muscle. Um, so you're talking like zero resistance, like movements, or right. you're talking, I mean, should people foam roll? Should they just like static stretch? Like what's the... So it's in terms of static stretching, um, I'd say for the athlete, if it feels good for you, go for it. Um, and, you know, it's, we'll do some sort of static stretching as our cool down some days, but we don't take it really more than 30 seconds to a minute. Because um, there's data out there that shows like long bouts of static stretching actually decreases power output right which is crazy for someone who has never heard that before it's mm -hmm. like hey if you go and stretch your hamstrings for two minutes straight and then go try to sprint you're actually lost losing a little bit of power right. output there um so that was, which is funny because yeah. you see people just like stretching at the blocks and <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, like, you just let yeah. your body do its thing getting yeah. your central nervous system up is really um you know something that can really help um, right. Getting, getting that feel good feeling. Um, but static stretching, like I would say we use about 10% of really what we do. Um, and we don't really have athletes, Hey, coming up like, Hey, do you have any stretches like I can do? Um, so you don't, you're not getting that. Nobody feedback. likes to stretch. Yeah. No one's giving that <laughs> feedback. 
So it's, uh, you know, you're doing something right if you're not having, you know, masses of athletes. What about like heat or ice or something like that? So like, I'm, I'm very, I don't know if it's controversial or not, but ice, I'm not a big fan of ice. Um, I think it slows the recovery process. I think there is data out there that shows that's Well, it definitely blunts the, um, it, it blunts the growth stimulus. So if your you know, goal is to like grow big muscles, get jacked, get huge, um, ice after like a cold shower or ice bath or things like that will actually hurt the stimulus is my yeah. understanding. And, you know, I've, as far as, you know, being an athletic trainer and all that, I think like ice would be good in like an acute setting. Hey, you sprain your ankle, let's put some ice to basically limit swelling. But um, it's, it's something I want to do more research in. Um, I don't really handle, you know, ice and heat too much yeah. for our athletic training staff. Sure. Um, but are you in the same department as them? Like, is it? We are separate departments, but we work very close, close. together. Yeah. Um, so athlete gets injured. They'll go through the rehab process with our athletic trainer. Um, then they'll send them to me. We have weekly meetings on, you know, injuries that have happened. Um, and Mike Livergood, who's our athletic trainer, we do a really good job of communicating and just getting set up from, you know, injury rehab to getting them ready to go back on the field mm -hmm. um, is is a process that we you know it's really important. Yeah, and and really a lot of those athletes that you see out in day to day, they'll you know they'll go get injured out on the field. Say it's a high school athlete, go to the athletic trainer, but there's no high school strength conditioning coach to take them through like an onboarding process to mm -hmm. get you know ready and prepped to play. So it's going from almost rehab out to competition, which in my mind is scary for a lot of those uh, athletes that you know aren't going through a good strength conditioning program or resistance training so it's it's something i i hope uh in the long run a lot of high schools start seeing the importance of uh having and hiring a strength conditioning coach yeah yeah i mean they got rid of pe so yeah. <laughs> we can see where their priorities lie yeah. But I think it's, I think part of it is, you know, small schools and budgets. Um, we were just talking right before uh, this podcast, there was, I don't know who gave the quote from Bellevue University, but somebody said, I would rather have million dollar results in a thousand dollar gym than the opposite, which you, you don't need to be fancy. Yeah. You know, it's, I've seen some high school gyms that are very rudimentary and you just need heavy things and, oh, yeah. and uh, a little bit of coaching. Yeah. Squat hinge, carry, push, pull, if you can do all of those in the setting you're in, you're going to be able to, you know, take care of your body pretty well. It doesn't have to be all fancy and shiny. Yeah. Well, and I think what's interesting about the, the space that you work in is it's really only about just over 50 years old, like your field. Yeah. I mean, really, it was the 1970s when a few universities, Boyd Epley, Nebraska, really started creating this idea of a formal strength and conditioning program um and so really all in all it's, it's not that old and yeah. you know uh, for the regular person out there listening it's funny hundreds of years ago you didn't see gyms and treadmills and you know like obviously our a lot of our lifestyle choices have have pushed a lot of people into health and fitness and things like that but oh yeah boy definitely if he wasn't around, we, I wouldn't have a job right now. He basically was the father of uh, strength conditioning. And he was Nebraska. I think Tom Osborne, mm -hmm. uh, Bob Devaney, they got him on staff. Yeah, so he came in when my dad was at Nebraska. Yeah. And then funny full circle story about life because that's how, that's the, the cool part of it is his daughter Jenna and I played basketball together growing up. Oh, wow. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he's actually been up to our weight room, Boyd Upley. Um, he's kind of looked at our... Um, kind of our setup and we've consulted a little bit so it's cool to have that older voice um, and we use the, really here we use a lot of those old husker power principles and like they still reign true today so he's, he's if it's not he's broke don't fix it yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's been amazing it works it works can you talk about the exciting things happening at bellevue for strength and conditioning yeah so um really i mean I would say it's more on the results end, like how our teams are doing. So strength conditioning wise, I feel like since we've really gotten going, um, we've made history in volleyball, our volleyball uh, team and finished in the top eight, uh, which was either the first time in history or the second, don't quote me, but um, we're breaking down milestones there and they hadn't been really to where they got to since the year 2000. So they're getting good results. Um, baseball, we're on a, a really good run of making that NAI World Series, which we had a 10-year drought, really, before we started doing training and getting the guys ready. Um, 
and I would say our men's soccer team's really taken uh, a big boost. They're, they finished, I think, in the top 10 this year. Um, we did have a tough loss, though, but uh, they, were, they were top 10 a couple times this year. So it's been exciting seeing kind of those results uh, yeah. kind of take place. It's fun to watch your athletes succeed. And you guys are getting a new strength and conditioning place. It's in Is the that, works, yeah. yes. Donate um, your money to Bellevue University. Yeah. <laughs> we have a blueprint. Um, now exactly, you know, when they're going to break ground, uh, you know, it's, it, we're not sure yet, but we've seen the blueprint. Um, we should have a nice, beautiful uh, weight room and new basketball arena uh, coming here, hopefully within the next you know, five years. So yeah. there's some good, exciting things coming. So it's pretty exciting. That's cool. That's cool. Okay, to baseball and softball for just a minute. Do you think you could hit a, uh, one of your pitchers, the softball pitchers, do you think you could hit one of their balls? You know, this is, I want to go out to practice now and put this into place, but I would say <laughs> We're no. We're going to get this on video, Matt. I would say no. I'm going to be real. I'd say LJ, she's like one of our best pitchers. Uh, she'd strike me out. Yeah, yeah. I think people think softball is just like the girls' version of baseball, and they're oh, no, completely different sports. The bases are closer. The pitcher's mounds are closer. The reaction time is much quicker. It's like 0.35 to point. Four, four seconds versus baseball, which is like 0.45 to 0.55. I remember a number of years ago, they brought in some of the MLB guys and on um, one of the sports centers and tried to get them to hit off Jenny Finch and oh, I think it's, yeah. they couldn't touch a ball. So yeah, hey. shout out to all the softball players from, from Bellevue. And uh, I back that too. Like, softball's <laughs> tough. Yep. They're they're good athletes. Hey, they I, are tough people. We I'm strong. Our softball team in here, they're gritty. They're, yeah. They, they'll scare you like, yeah. in terms of how hard they work and they're one to. So it's exciting. Absolutely. Awesome. It's a great right. sport. Okay, so I end all of my podcasts with something called the semen analysis, which you can only do if you get the, the pleasure of having a last name like semen. But I pulled this study looking at performance enhancing drug use in adolescents. Um, in NAI, do they do drug testing? They do. Um, basically, when you make the national tournament, I believe that's when they will do a random test. Okay. Um, but during the school year, I believe that we don't. Um, I think we had it in place, um, but I think it's more when you get to that national stage. Yeah. Uh, so postseason, they'll they'll spring some drug tests on you. Yeah. So. I had to do my fair share of drug testing uh, for NCAA, but I know that it's different based on you know different organizations. Um, but it's interesting. The study that I pulled, they they did this study called the Partnership Attitude and Tracking Study, the PATH study. And this was back in 2013, but they found 11% of teens reported using synthetic human growth hormone within their lifetime. Um, steroid use was five uh, to 7%, which I was just, I was kind of mind blown. I thought that was that actually, was mind to me. I thought that was really high. Yeah, and this was in 2013, which I feel like with time, the availability, social media, the pressure for athletes to be better, bigger, faster, stronger, um, kind of blew my mind. But the interesting part of this too, was they not only looked at steroids and growth hormone, but they looked at stimulants. And as a physician, we are seeing increasing numbers of adolescents and teens on things like Adderall, Vyvanse, these amphetamine type substances, which do increase alertness. They improve endurance. They improve anaerobic performance, reaction time, and the, um, non-medical use of them, um, it, is growing, but you know, these athletes are in, in medical school, even in like grad school, medical school, people are pursuing these prescriptions because it's a performance enhancing drug in the classroom too. Yeah. Um, a study drug. Right, right. So I just, this is, these are things you don't think about for these athletes, but these are what we're, we're dealing with, uh, you know, day in and day out. Um, and so I just want people to be aware of your young athletes that, you know, they can get access to these things. What do you think about this whole name image likeness that, that has come about in college athletics? So I actually really like it. I think uh, it, it changes the landscape, which is change for a lot of people is scary. Um, but I believe, you know, especially those athletes at those high levels, um, you know, they're putting in so much work behind the scenes. Um, many people are, um, making an income income off their play. Um, I just think it's great that they can get some sort of, um, you know, compensation for really, they're almost at a pro level. If you really think of those top levels, like college football, college basketball, um, I just think it gives them a really good opportunity to 
Uh, you know, let's say this, your best window of being an athlete was in college and you were a superstar, but you know, it didn't pan out in the pros and you didn't uh, say like Tommy Frazier for Nebraska back in the day. Yeah. So it gives you a chance why your name is basically hot uh, per se to, you know, make an income on that time. Yeah. Um, so when you leave and say you don't become a pro, you know, superstar athlete, at least you could have take, taken advantage of a time that, you know, when your name was popular and, you know, people were willing to dish out money. Yeah. You're, you're able to compensate off that. I think that's one of my fears is that with like your big power schools, that it's going to start to come down to how deep are people's pockets? You know, yeah. how much money are we going to be to pay these athletes to come in and put our jersey on? And and uh, that's, of course, my fear is there's yeah. there's, there's, some good there's always pros yeah. and cons be to some everything. Bad, yeah. 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 And I think, you know, you wonder, too, could it be a distraction? Is it going to create problems in the locker room? You yeah. know? Those are a lot of my fears. Those are kind of uncharted territories. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see some of those, you know, ramifications of, you know, because it's going to get a little more detailed. There's, you know, Texas, their offensive line is getting a $60,000 salary to be on the starting O-line at the University of Texas. So it's going to come down. I hear that. Yeah. So recruiting has been changing. Um, it's almost like you're going to have to offer some sort of a package, you know, yeah. with boosters says, you know, Hey, here's your salary. Here's, you know, what you're going to get if you come to our school. So yeah, the ramifications and, you know, what's going to happen after this all takes place is going to be very interesting. Um, but I think it is good, um, just for those athletes, you know, to take advantage of, you know, being popular at that time. But yeah. Well, hopefully it doesn't change. There's no bad ramifications that we. When you have coaches seeing. making millions of dollars off the backs of some of these young athletes, it uh, it makes sense that they should be able to represent themselves. And uh, we'll see. Time yeah, will we'll tell. See. Time will yeah. tell. Well, Jake, tell people how they can find you on social media. And uh, I just want to say good luck to the Bruins and all I the athletic teams this year and all the athletes you work with. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, and basically, to find me on uh, Instagram, it's at Coach Allward. Um, I actually put all of our athletes' uh, workouts. You can see, you know, what we're doing day-to-day with all of our athletes. So it's a good recruiting tool. So a lot of athletes that, you know, are interested in Bellevue University, you can see how our atmosphere in the weight room is, how each sport operates. And uh, you get to see me working out once in a while, but that's not exciting. I love it. uh, I love it. And then Twitter, I think it's at Coach Allward as well. Um, But, yeah, you can find me and, you know, learn more about Bellevue University Strength and Conditioning. Awesome. Well, Jake, thanks for having me here in the gym today. I'm going to go home and do some pull-ups. So (laughs) thank you guys for listening. Make sure you download this episode. Leave us all your comments, your questions, share it with people who might find this interesting. We really appreciate you all.